Today we're continuing our sermon series in the book of Romans, and our scripture reading is Romans 15, verses 1 through 13. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again, it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Well, hey, good morning. Um, if you're joining us online, welcome. Good to be with you. Um, you know, just a quick update uh, from just Redeemer City as a whole, vision-wise. Um, you know, over the last couple months, we've been in the midst of a transition with Casey uh, resigning in August, and just the elder team uh, a month ago talked about the vision of hiring an associate pastor. And so the last month we've been working on that job description, and that was on Friday posted. And so you can check it out. It's on the RC Family Update Slack, it's on our website. But what we're looking for is basically an associate pastor to come alongside me and doing some worship, a little bit of teaching, and then some other pastoral responsibilities. And so just a couple things. One is, um, as a congregation, just be in prayer for us as we begin that search. Um, regularly, just pray for that. Um, we need God's provision. And secondly, uh, if you know of someone who you think might be a good fit, um, send them the link. Um, get the word out. We'd love to, to just get them in the process of moving forward in that degree. So um, excited about that. So grateful for that next step. Um, so as we continue our series in the book of Romans, um, it was a few weeks back, I was talking to a friend, and uh, he shared with me that on their internal communication board, their Slack feed, um, someone posted an article about a particular bill that had just been passed, and it was in regards to one of the current cultural wars of the day, and this person commented about how they were opposing that particular bill. And they were requesting that people take action in that organization. Well, as you might expect, uh, it wasn't too long after that that someone else posted. Who, guess what, was on the complete other side of the issue and was commenting for how they were for the bill. And you know what? In that moment, if you know anything about Slack, right, like you can just keep going and going and going, and it would only be a few moments in which that little spark would become an inferno that would divide, potentially, that organization. You know, this is just one example 
of the polarizing times that we live in, the divisive times we live in. Um, I said this last week, and I'll say it again. I don't think I'm speaking hyperbolically at all when I say that each one of us, each one of you, in the last 18 to 24 months, one of your relationships, it might be a friend, might be a family member, might, might be a coworker, one of your relationships at least has gone sideways, if not backwards. It's been fractured. And the question is, how do you and how do we build community in the midst of the rubble of a polarizing world? It's interesting, in Paul's letter to the church at Rome, this congregation is dealing with a divisive issue. There's two sides. And it's not masks or vaccines, obviously. It's not political. It's about what they ate and about what days they observed. And you know what? We read this letter today and we think, that seems pretty trite. That seems pretty small. But let me submit to you that if they were to look at our day, I think they might think the same thing. Regardless, as Paul writes the church at Rome, this community has found themselves divided. On the one side, you have the Jews, who for centuries had dietary laws and religious observant days that marked them out as the people of God. And on the other side, you had Gentiles, non-Jews, who didn't have that history, and therefore had no problem eating whatever they wanted to eat. And in taking any day to do whatever they wanted to do. And yet these two groups, what had happened is they had heard the gospel. They had heard that the fulfillment of the Jewish promises had culminated in the person of Jesus. And these Jews and these Gentiles had put their hope in Christ. And the question for them and the question for us is how do you build community in the midst of division? And what maybe shouldn't surprise you, but maybe it should, is that what does Paul do last week and this week? To be straightforward, he applies the gospel to their relationships with one another. Listen, many of us have been around Christianity for a lot of years and we hear the word gospel, we say, we got it. But last week I said this, I said, listen, how well you relate to those you disagree with in the church is a marker of how deep and well you understand the gospel. And you might say, pastor, how can you say that? Because here's the deal, the gospel, we say it a lot here, but the gospel is this, it's, it's a good news about what God has done for us in Christ and that good news is, begins with the fact that God created us, He loved us, and then He lost us because our parents walked out the door, slammed the door, and yet even though they did that, He came after them in the person of Jesus. In the personal work of Jesus, He welcomes us home, and not just home in a reconciled relationship with Him, but He actually rescues us to a new family. A family where there are a lot of differences, a lot of opinions, 
a lot of disagreements. And the question is, how do you build unity there? So last week and this week, the big question was, how do you get along with people in the church who you disagree with about something that you have a deep conviction about? And Paul continues this week, and he gives us three things. He says you need a common ethic, you need a common standard, and you need a common hope. So let's pray, and we'll unpack it. Father, um, we ask you for your help now. In the midst of these days, would you help us to set our eyes on Christ and pray now that as we unfold these scriptures, that you would do that by your Spirit. Give us ears, we pray. Amen. You know, in every home, there's an ethic. Every home, there are moral standards. There's ways of doing things, things that are acceptable and things that are not. You know, in our home, sometimes, it says last week, there's, there's quarrels, there's fights. And sometimes what a man and I will say to our kids, we'll say this, we'll say, hey, that's not how we do things here. Because this is our home. This is, that's not how we do things here. And in a sense, when Paul begins in verse 1 and 2, this is what Paul is saying. He's saying there's, a, there's an ethic that the church is called to. And look what he says. He says, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Paul begins by saying this, the ethic, the common ethic that those who follow Christ are called to is this, when you disagree with someone, you put them above yourself. That's the ethic. Not you before them, but them before you. And what's remarkable about this is Paul unpacks these two groups. He calls one group strong, one group weak. And what Paul is doing there is he's not saying some have weak or little faith in Christ and some have strong faith in Christ. He's using those words in this way. The weak were the Jews who did not feel in their conscience that they could eat meat. They had not fully worked out the ramifications that Jesus had made all things clean. They hadn't fully worked out the implications of the gospel. And then there were the Gentiles, they are, they're the strong ones in one sense. They're actually the majority, but they had, they knew it was okay for them to eat what they wanted to eat. But what's interesting here, do you notice who Paul tells to bear the relationship? Paul tells the strong that you actually have an obligation to bear with the weak in this situation. And that's remarkable because just to go back for a moment last week, we saw that the strong are actually the ones that are correct here. They're the ones that actually understand the full implications of the gospel in this particular context. They're correct. They're the ones who are doctrinally right. They're the ones who are in the majority. And yet Paul says, on them, you put others before yourself. You have the obligation. Listen, Let's just bring this down to our own moment for, for a second. How do you respond towards others <clears throat> whom you disagree with? Is it your knee-jerk reaction to put them first? 
You know, I was thinking about this for a moment. If I'm honest, when I disagree with someone about something, my initial response is to begin to dig in my heels, begin to defend my position, begin to think about, man, how how can they think that? If only they knew what I knew and they had the facts, then they wouldn't be like that. Oftentimes, what I can do is actually, I hear their position and I immediately put them in that category. Oh, they're one of those people which is the easiest way to dismiss them. And yet Paul says the common ethic in the church is this when you disagree with someone. The rule of conduct is you take off your shoes and you put on their shoes. When Paul says that you ought to in this situation seek to build them up, Paul is saying, what are you going to do to help them? What are you going to do to help strengthen them? So just imagine for a moment, in the midst of your day, right? You see your friend who posts that one thing on social media on the other side of the issue you're on. What do you immediately do? Or how about this? The next time you're in Citigroup and someone shares their political stance about this, What do you do in that moment? And you're on the other side. Paul is saying the ethic in this moment is to put someone, the other person, before yourself. In other words, rather than demonizing or ostracizing or canceling the other side, listen, you actually lean in and you ask the question, help me understand where you're coming from. And what's interesting here is this ethic, it's not something that a philosopher thought up. It's not something that some social scientists got together and said, this is the way we can make unity. Paul actually reminds them, no, this is an ethic that is embodied. Look at verse 3. Paul says this, For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Paul says this ethic is embodied in your Savior. He is the one, remember, who came down and did not demonize you. He did not ostracize you. He did not cancel you. He was the strong one. He was the one who was in the right. And what did he do? He said, how do I build them up? And how did he build them up? By being mocked. By being crucified. By laying down his life sacrificially in order to make you whole. You see, don't you understand, this ethic is at the very core of the gospel itself. It's that God came down and put us before, can I say it, himself in that moment? Do you understand that? 
And Jesus is saying, or Paul is saying this, to build unity in the midst of a polarizing world, you need the embodied ethic of Jesus. As one commentator put it, to sacrificially endure in order to put others before yourself. Listen, let me ask you right now, what, those relationships that have gone sideways, what might it look like to press in and put them before yourself? You know, and what's interesting here, if Paul knows that this way of living relationally, it's not a hundred yard dash. It's not like 10 seconds or maybe for me, 20 seconds and you're done, Right? Uh, this is a marathon. This is going to take time, and this is going to take endurance. This is, this is not a one-shot thing. This is, this is the long haul. Because let's be honest, in relationships we have with others, they don't change overnight. You don't just like, okay, in this moment I'll put you before myself. Oh, and good, now you see it my way. We're, we're all there. Paul says you're going to need encouragement and you're going to need endurance to live this out. And, when, and Paul continues to show where we get that. Look at verse 4. Paul says, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. This is really important for us. Where do you go in a divisive world in the midst of relationships that are weary, that are hard, that are not easy? Where do you go when you're tired? Where do you go when you want to tap out? Paul says it's the Scriptures. You go to the Scriptures. That's where you find encouragement. That's where you find endurance. You know, Keller puts it this way. Passive Christians will not experience much unity. Only believers who are following hard, setting priorities for Christian growth and ministry will experience deep unity. Think about this for a moment. In our vision at Redeemer City to renew our city through the gospel, if that's going to happen, it cannot be a people who are passive, right? Listen, if you want to run a marathon, you know you don't just wake up the day of and just start running, right? You know it takes training. It takes, it takes wisdom. It takes endurance. It takes training. And in other ways, Paul is saying this in one sense. He's saying this. Listen, if you want to run this race, you've got to be intentional, You've got to be intentional about your intake of the Scriptures. Because this is not a hundred-yard dash. This is the long haul. This is building into a rhythm of a life of regular intake of the Scriptures. Personal reading. The study of the Scriptures with others. This means good, solid, Christ-centered teaching on a regular basis. Because there are going to be moments in which you're going to want to tap out of that relationship. There are moments when you're going to be like, I don't want to show up. 
I don't want to put them before myself. And Paul is saying to them and to us, if you're going to experience unity in the midst of division, it's going to take active, persistent, intentional intake of the Scriptures. And you know what's remarkable is Paul just did this for them in verse 3. He quoted, I think it's Psalm 69, but he took Psalm 69 and he said, this is all about Christ. That's what he just did. He said, guys, this is going to be hard for you to put them for yourself, but let me remind you of who Christ is. He quotes Old Testament and says, there you go. Keep going. But not only that, he says this in verse 6. It takes one other thing. That together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, there's a dynamic where he is, in verse 5, begins with, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you. He's, he's praying for them. In other words, this isn't just a, something we create. This is actually something that God needs to give. You know? There's a dynamic in which we continue to persist and move forward and be intentional. The other side of it is we say, we can't do this apart from the grace of Christ, apart from God giving it. You know, think about like next week, the women's prayer time, right? It's an active dynamic of just saying, God, would you do this in our body? Like that's the significance of those moments. Or in our city group life, the, the prayer time before and after, whenever you do it, like those are the moments in which we lean in and say, please, Lord, give us unity. It's our life together. We can't create this or foster this. He has to do it in us and through us. It's a dependence. So Paul says here, here it is. Firstly, if you're going to build unity in a polarizing world, you've got to put others first. Those you disagree with before yourself, think about what builds them up because that's what Christ did for you. Follow him. But secondly, Paul says you need a common standard. Look at verse 7. Paul says, Therefore welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. You know, think about it this way. Every organization has some standard, some bar in which you're welcomed. I mean, think for a moment, the UW, it's, you know, you get a certain GPA, you get a certain SAT, ACT score, and we welcome you in, right? Or think about your vocation, your workplace. There's a certain degree of what education do you have? What competency do you have? What skill do you have? And if you have it, then we'll welcome you in. And Paul says here, I want you to, I want you to welcome others as you've been welcomed. And so the question is, how did they get in? How did you get received? Was it because of your behavior? Was it because of your competency? Was it because of your gifts? Was it because of your skill? Was it because of your, the rightness of your view on this situation? On this division? Look at verses 8 and 9, because, because Paul is cunning here. Look at what he does. He says, For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs, 
And then verse 9, in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. Now, there's a lot there, but one of the things that's fascinating about what Paul does there is Paul says this, the reason why you're in this church is because of Christ. That's how you've been welcomed, because of what he's done. That's to simplify it. It's because of grace. On the one hand, he says to the one side, the Jews, don't you understand the fulfillment of the promises of your forefathers? Guess what? They've all been fulfilled in Christ. That's where you're looking right now. On the other hand, the whole purpose of that was so that those who were outside, who were non-Jews, could actually be brought in and actually praise God for his mercy. He speaks to both sides. He says, you guys all have in common this grace. You don't belong here. You don't belong here, but because of Christ, you do belong here. Do you notice what Paul is doing? Paul is putting on the table, this is the centering piece of your relationship as a community. It is Christ. It is not your politics. It is not your view on this. It is Christ. That is what's at the center. As you've been welcomed, so you welcome them. And that means the rightness or wrongness of your views on various things. Here's the deal. Christ loves you and accepts you. I mentioned this last week. Um, one of the things we, were, we talked about was this dynamic of this is a disputable matter that's dividing the church. And when I said disputable matter, it's, in essence, it's this. A disputable matter is a belief or practice in which God has not clearly forbidden or commanded. So, to be clear, this is, this is not a doctrinal issue of Christ, who he is. This is not a doctrinal issue of, of salvation. This is not an open immorality issue. This is a disputable matter. We said last week, these are issues like public school, private school, homeschool. Political stance here or there. We talked about issues of vaccines or masks. Um, and here's the point. Paul is saying you can have strong opinions about these issues. But Paul's saying, what's the weight you're going to give those issues? J.D. Greer, I quote this last week, it was so helpful because this is what we want to grow into if we're going to be united. He says that spiritual maturity is not just developing strong convictions. It is learning to show restraint in the way you give those convictions. And Paul, in essence, is saying, hey, guys, this issue of whether you eat or whether you don't eat, this is disputable. If this is at the center of your relationship, it will divide you. But Paul is saying, it's disputable. Therefore, at the center is Christ. As you've been welcomed, so you welcome others. And that means this. Those you disagree with on disputable matters, politics or whatever it is, guess what? It means when you cook, you have them over. You welcome them. It means whether you're on different sides of the issue and related to social justice issues of the day, guess what? If your commonality is Christ, is Christ big enough? Is he? Is the gospel central enough? That's what Paul's doing here. Don't minimize what he's doing here. 
Don't think that relates to them and not us, because this is what Paul's doing. And by the way, it's not even that, think about it, like there were people that were wrong about what they believed back then, but he still said, come on in. Oh man, like think about this, like we need to be a community that provides a safe place because check this out, in our world, people get freaked out to share what they think. They just do. They get scared to share. This is what I truly think about this situation. Because they're scared they're going to be canceled. They're scared they're going to be set apart. And, guys, if the gospel is coined to change the city, then guess who's going to be coming in? It's going to be people who have very different views than you. And very different views than me. But that's why the gospel has got to stay central. Because if it's not, then they're going to mistake us for something in the day that's not of us, that's not of Christ. And lastly, Paul tells them of a common hope they must have. You know, the last section, 9 through 12, Paul cites four Old Testament passages, all about the Gentiles praising God. And what's really remarkable is he takes every one of the Old Testament, there's, there's different divisions of the Old Testament, and all the Jews knew this. He takes one from every one of those books. And he says, don't you see, the Gentiles are there. They're a part of the story. They've been there the whole time. They belong. I was listening uh, the other day to uh, an interview with Tom Hanks, and he was talking about one of the first movies he ever got reviewed for. He opened up the review, and he's, he's like one of the main, main, main actors in the movie. And he's just reading it, because of course, you know, when you're getting reviewed, it's just like your, your whole soul's on the line, right? And sure enough, you know, his co-stars talk about how wonderful they are. And the next person, and then the director, and like, it went down the line. And he got to the end of the review, and guess what? He wasn't mentioned once in the whole review, and he was like a main character. Now, it did get better for him. You know, it did. He had other reviews that were good and mentioned him. But don't you notice here in this text, what is Paul doing? He's telling the Gentiles, you're in the story. You're mentioned. You're mentioned. You're a part of this. And see, in other words, Paul is saying, even to the Jews of that day, like, as you look over there at that person who, who eats what they want to eat, don't you understand? They're a part of this people. They're a part of you. They're in the story. There's an author, Olivia O'Donovan, that talks about this. There are three ways to deal with the future. There's anticipation, there's deliberation, and there's hope. And anticipation is basically this. You, you know, anticipation is our natural expectation of what's going to happen the next day. 
So, right, like the sun's going to rise, right? We expect that to happen tomorrow. Um, but there's deliberation where we begin to plan and we strategize about what we're going to do in light of tomorrow. You know, we might say, when the sun rises, we take the bridge. But hope is what you need when anticipation and deliberation run out. You know, when you wake up and you see the bridge and it's completely surrounded on every side. And you have no reasonable expectation that things will work out or that you can trust in your own capacities. Which is why, in verse 13, Paul says this, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Listen, this is what's important. Do you understand? Verses 9 to 12 is looking back at God saying, the Gentiles are coming in. They're going to praise you alongside the Jews. Like, this is one people, one people, one people. And now you're at this point in the story. And guess where all things are headed? The end of the story is what? It's people from every tribe, tongue, and language. Very different than us. Very different than you. And what are they doing? They're around a throne. And they're praising Jesus for his mercy. See, in this day, it, 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 these messages, honestly, like it just rips me because I, I don't know how to even move forward at times in these days because we're just so divided. I don't even, it's hard to have the conversations. It's like the bridge is surrounded. I don't know what to do. But Paul is saying this, as much as we feel that today, I know you feel that in that day, but there's a common hope because one day it's done. One day, there's people from every tribe, tongue, and language, and it, there's no division. And here's the deal. What you believe about the future, that informs the present. And therefore, you work your tail off to live in unity in the present moment. Because you know where things are going. You know it matters. You know it matters. So three questions as we close. Who are you following? Are you following others who criticize, ostracize, and demonize? Or are you following the one who has come down and put you before himself? Secondly, what is your standard for welcoming those around you? There's a recent poll that showed that most Americans are more concerned about whether or not their kids marry someone in the same political party than someone of the same religion. Is that the litmus test for who you befriend? Or is there room for others around the table who think differently than you, but nevertheless are centered on Christ? And lastly, where is your hope? Where is your hope? James K. Smith puts it this way, what if there was someone who gathered up all that is lost? What if there was a beloved who could never die, who loved you first, whose love called everything to existence and is therefore stronger than death? And let me add this, what if there was someone who is able to unite our deeply divided world in such a way that people from every nation, tribe, and language 
will sing his praises when he returns. Listen, do you notice the answer to all three of these questions, the common ethic, the common, the common welcoming, the common hope, the answer is a person. It's Christ. Every one of them, it's Christ. That's where Paul directs our eyes. That is our hope in a polarizing, divisive world. Let's pray. God, we pray now. You are the God of hope. Would you fill us with all joy and peace in believing? It's not in our power, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may help us abound in this hope. Amen.